It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hi, it's Jamie, Progressive's Employee of the Month, two months in a row. Leave a message at the... Hi, Jamie. It's me, Jamie. I just had a new idea for our song about the Name Your Price tool. So when it's like, tell us what you want to pay, hey, 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 and the trombone goes, blah, 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 and you say, we'll help you find coverage options to fit your budget. Then we just all do finger snaps while a choir goes, savings coming at ya, savings coming at ya. Yes? No? Maybe? Anyway, see your practice tonight. I got new lyrics for the rap break. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You are Locked On Celtics, your daily Celtics podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm so hyped right now. Anything's possible. Oh, my mama. Oh, my mama made it, man. Anything's possible. Rainy days. Jump shot fade away. This is the best Celtics podcast day to day, especially when the season get hectic. I stay waiting on it like receiving a Nets pick. Nothing like the terrible analysts on the TV. So in depth, you might even hear a story on Gigi. So in depth, they might do an hour about the D-League. So in depth, you probably should pay them, but it's a freebie. Yeah, John Corrales and J. King locked on trying to get the 18th ring. So you can miss me with the blah, blah. No more Gino time. We watching Jay do the Zaza. Hey there, welcome back to the Locked On Celtics Podcast here on the Locked On Podcast Network. We are here for you Monday through Friday. Thank you for making us part of your daily routine. We are the Rain and Jays, John Corrales, and Jay King of MassLive.com. Game 7, tonight, Monday night. That's it. Do or die. Winner go home. Cliche, cliche, cliche. Uh, let's, uh, let's just dive right into this. We're going to talk about a few things that uh, came up in the Celtics practice today. Al Horford talking about Game 7's. The Phantom second that was never played. And the keys to winning this game seven. Jay King, let's just get right to it. How do you feel? Celtics going to win this thing or what? I, I, I predicted Celtics in seven at the beginning, so I'm, I'm not going to change it now. Uh, I expect something more similar to game six, where you know game, games three, four, and five all blowouts. I think game six was what happened when both teams locked in and both teams avoided careless turnovers. And and obviously it wasn't like the, the cleanest Christmas game, but I I think game seven, both teams dig their toes in and it's going to be a close, close game. I think home court is enough to give Boston the edge. Yeah, that that's fair. I actually feel a lot better about Game 7 than most people, I feel like. Uh, I think in Games 5 and Game 6, the Celtics figured something out. And what they were doing in Games 5 and 6 were things that they avoided doing in in the first four games in that they they didn't pass willy-nilly out of double teams, like where they especially Isaiah Thomas, where he would just try to find Al Horford out of a double team. The Celtics made a concentrated effort in those double teams to to say, Washington is jumping into that passing lane 
And if you just try to throw it back to Al Horford, they're going to pick it off and go. Uh, they're going to go and, and run off and score in in the transition. So what they didn't do, they they did a great job of like Isaiah was dribbling back, reversing his course and dribbling out of those double teams, or dribbling and and passing cross court to the guy in the opposite corner. So what Washington was doing was that guy that was guarding the opposite corner would cheat up and jump into that passing lane to pick off the pass to Al Horford. So they took advantage of that guy cheating and they kicked it to the opposite corner and then they forced a bunch of rotations and they got themselves some open shots. I think the difference between game five and game six is the Celtics missed a ton of open shots early in the game. If the Celtics had hit open shots in the first quarter or the first half even of game six, they would have won that game going away. And to me, that's the difference in game six. The Celtics simply missed a bunch of early shots and, you know, obviously credit to Washington for for hanging around and doing what they had to do to win the game. But if the, if the Celtics had just hit a, a an average, just hit their average in the first half, it would have been an extremely different game, and I think they would have won Game Six. I think at Game Seven, I I just don't trust Washington to make different adjustments. I think the Celtics have figured enough out, and not only I, I don't think it's going to be as tight a game as you do, Jay. I think that the Celtics are going to win this game by double digits. Digits. Boom. <laughs> A confident Corrales. I mean, it's not going to be a 30-point game, but I think they can win by like 10 or 12. The, the blowout-averse squad going, going big <laughs> in Game 7. Yeah. We'll see, I, I, I do think they also they, – they've done a much better job of transition defense the last couple of games. And I think part of that is obviously not turning the ball over and giving up wide-open dunks and three-pointers. Uh, but you can, you can see how much attention they are paying to, to stopping – John Wall and stopping the ball before he really gets ahead of steam. And, and they've really done a great job of limiting Washington's early offense. And obviously, second half of game six, literally only Bradley Beal, John Wall, and Markeith Moore scored. It, it was, it was a weird, that was a weird game. Like, the Celtics were missing layups and dunks. The, the Wizards never pulled away anyway. And then it was kind of just Bradley Beal versus the Celtics for a while. And... And then the Celtics, Celtics were hand. Oh, they, they've got to be the last couple of games. They, they, they seem to have moved on quickly from it and focused on Game Seven. But with 125 left, they had a five-point lead in the ball. Just a vicious, vicious, vicious loss in Game Six. And then to to have the NBA come out and admit that they should have had an extra second on the last play. What, what what's what's weird to me about that is I, I know. You're not allowed to replay that. You're not allowed to check how much time actually elapsed. But they should have known, right? Like, there were 3.5 seconds left on the inbounds pass. It was very clear that 1.8 seconds did not elapse on a clock. It was mm-hmm. very clear Kelly Olenek was fouled almost instantly. Isaiah Thomas said he said something to the ref. Brad Stevens said the bench was alerting the referees what was going on and they didn't even gather to talk about it it's just weird to me that that less that nothing was done about that and they didn't even try to address it considering how often timing issues are addressed in the nba i'm also surprised i i'm i'm not 
I, I th- that's just not something that you would expect. That the the way the way that whole thing was handled, it just nonchalantly like, okay, yep, it's one point seven. I feel like there's just there referees, if anything, are so in tune to how much time is on the clock. How many times have referees stopped to say, no, there's there's a half second more on the clock? Or I've I've seen it a million times in games. To to sit there and say that two full seconds came off the clock in that situation and to not address it, it just feels weird. And I know that the guys talked about it and like Brad Stevens kind of blew it off. And most of the guys were just like, you know, uh, yeah, that kind of sucks. But I, I know, I know Isaiah addressed it and, and he said that he figured if he had had an extra second, he could have taken another dribble. He could have maybe gotten past Markeith Morris, maybe got a little bit more separation. That's it's hard to kind of really figure out exactly what would have happened. I, I'm, I'm kind of upset at the fact that it couldn't have been reviewed. Like that seems like something that should be reviewable. And you know, that, that second plus is a big deal. I mean, that is an extra dribble. That is the ability to draw up a different kind of play. And you can get into this. I started to get, I wrote this in the morning dump and you can really, if you let yourself go down this weird road, you can go down the rabbit hole of if that extra second was played, if the Celtics had won, things would have been so radically different. Like everybody's lives would have changed. The wizards would already be home. The Cavs would already be practicing. The Celtics would be practicing for somebody else. Things would have just been completely different. It just would have set down this trickle down of all of these different things, these different course of events. I just, I don't know. I don't understand why they couldn't just look at the clock and say, this is where the file happened. This is how much time was in the clock and just let it play out. And maybe it would have played out the same. Maybe the Celtics would have still missed the shot and so be it. But we'll never know that one second. We'll never know. And if the Celtics do lose in game seven, then how many people are going to go back to game six and say, if we only had that extra second, maybe we'd have, we wouldn't have even needed a game seven. Yeah, and, and look, they would have been huge underdogs anyway with 2.7 seconds left or 2.8, whatever it should have been. And it still would have been a long shot for them to score. But at the same time, like you can definitely manufacture a better shot than they got, the fadeaway Isaiah Thomas three-pointer with that extra second. And and I'm with you like the the fact that you can't review it is just just strange. And th- there are triggers in the NBA rule book for a lot of different things that can allow an official to go back and check the clock, but that play just didn't qualify under any of the guidelines. And I I, I still believe the the referee like they could have still met together and talked to each other and decided, look, there's no chance in hell 1.8 seconds left came off the clock when Kelly Oubre Jr. literally delivered the foul to give as soon as Kelly Olenek touched the ball. Um, like right. it, it just it made no sense that as much time came off the clock as it did, even if without the, the use of instant replay. But I do think that the NBA should probably change that rule. There's so many things that they go to the – the replay center four and to not do it on a play like that where 
in Washington, in Washington, the clock operator lets too much time trickle off the clock. It 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 really is. And, and that's a tough that's a tough hit for Boston. And obviously, there are tons of bad calls in the game. And like 125 left, Boston commits the turnover. Isaiah has the bad possession where he isos on John Wall gets blocked. Like there are a lot of things the Celtics did wrong. We're we're not saying that this was just on right. the referee, but at the same time, like that's that's a a bad call and a call that it seems like could have been avoided if they had just talked about it. Like literally, just a single conversation. Like, okay, three point five seconds left. It doesn't make any sense that there's only one point seven seconds left now. Let's add a little time and right. give them what what. That really, they should rightfully have. So that was weird, but let, let's move on from that. Enough talk about that <laughs> damn second. I, <laughs> game seven, man. I, I'm, I'm very excited to be in TD Garden for game seven. That's going to be so much fun. It really is going to be unlike a, any other game that really any of these Celtics, these current Celtics have played in, except for maybe Al Horford, who was on the other side of one of these. But, you know, uh, Isaiah Thomas, Jay Crowder, like those guys don't understand exactly what they're in for when when that ball is, is thrown up tomorrow. Horford, though, just remembers being in the garden for a game seven back in 08 when he was with the Hawks. And that was, again, it was, that was a very weird series too, because the Celtics were a top seed playing. That was the, the eighth seeded Hawks. And I remember that series was so weird because we were just, I remember like, how can this top seeded Celtics? That was a different top seeded Celtics because that, that team was dominant. And they should have been the top seed. And all of a sudden, they were struggling in the first round of the playoffs. We're like, shit, what the hell is going on here? They ultimately, obviously, we know how that went. But for Al Horford to talk about just coming into that that uh, atmosphere and to say that was a beat down from the beginning. And to say the energy in the garden was unbelievable. And he, with emphasis, was just talking about how it felt being an opponent in that building, listening to that crowd, feeling that energy, and knowing that every little mistake was magnified and every good thing the other team did was magnified. I think when you look at this series, these guys, and how much home court has meant, I can't imagine the Wizards bench Stepping up in the face of that type of crowd that Horford was describing and being anything positive. They, they've they been terrible on the road as a bench anyway. And to have that crowd, that fired up, and at 8 o'clock, maybe a little extra liquored up, those guys are just <laughs> going to be insane. Yeah, it, it is going to be a bonkers crowd. I think... It's critical for the Celtics to avoid one of their disastrous starts that they got off to in the first few games of the series because you need the crowd to be in it. You need the crowd to be loud. You need, when Brandon Jennings comes onto the court, you need it to be so loud and so crazy 
that he and Jan Mahinmi and the rest of the Wizards bench just feel lost and and anxious and nervous. And and that Terry Rozier and those guys can really feed off it because like game six, game six was a star game. That was all the best players standing up, everybody else shrinking away. That was that was like it felt like guys it was a nervous game. It was a jittery game. It was it was it wasn't like free flowing like some of the other games were. That was just ang- there were there were nerves out there. It was obvious and and the Celtics bench was two for fifteen, including one for nine, I believe it was on on open uncontested shots, which which is crazy. But but if if you if the Celtics get a different performance from their bench, then then that's a big deal because you need the bench to to really pull away when when John Wall is not on the court. And that that was one play where Game Six went wrong was when Wall hit the bench in the second half. The Celtics actually gave up a lead, and, and they can't have that. When John Wall sits, the Celtics need to surge ahead. They they need to take advantage of those moments, and they didn't do that in Game Six, and, and that really hurt them. In addition to the final couple minutes, the final minute and a half, whatever it was, they they need their bench to be better than it was, and I think it will be at home. It, it should be at home at least. That that's how this most of the series has gone. Um, so we'll see. We'll see. I, I I know the crowd is going to be nuts, but but the, that start is critical to keep it nuts and keep it bonkers. Al Horford, when he was talking about that game, his eyes just lit up, man. He was like like so excited that now he gets to experience that in a game seven in Boston. And and I, I don't mean to crap on Atlanta fans right now, although <laughs> Uh, like there is a huge difference between the playoff experience he got in Atlanta and the playoff experience he's going to get in Boston for game seven Monday night. It, it is going to be insane in there. I, w- I wouldn't be surprised if we hear another F you Oubre. You know, considering the reaction from wizards Twitter after that, I hope we do. I hope we do. <laughs> that was over the top and inappropriate. And, and in reality, I really prefer not to have to deal with that, but just because it tweaks wizard Twitter. And I love the fact that the wizards Celtics hatred for each other has kind of permeated the social media side of it. I mean, maybe not for you because you're, you know, you're, you're a professional, but for the rest of us, you know, people listening, there's like a little back and forth with Wizards Twitter. A bunch of people that I like. Like, I think these are all, like, I I generally like most of the bloggers for other teams. But we're, we're in this kind of like knockdown, drag out. Everybody's a little kind of ornery. And so I like I like where this is all going. So if there's another FU Uber chance, so be it. I'm okay with that. I've enjoyed, I've enjoyed Chuck, man. <laughs> Chuck going after guys from Washington has, has been quite fun for me. I got to tell you, I will give Ch- – Chuck is fearless. He will name. He will tag. He's just like – he's all about that. It's so funny. He's about that life. He's about that Twitter life, man. He is really about that Twitter life. It's hilarious. But it's Everybody, true. At Red's Army underscore Chuck. 
if you, if you want to see uh, a, tw- a Twitter user who is willing to bash Wizards fans. Calls him out. Just just completely, yeah, it's hilarious. He's he's my unhinged twin brother. It's just, I, I'm the rational one in all of this, which is kind of scary. Um, look, I, I really do think that the crowd is going to be nuts. And for the Celtics, honestly, the big key for Boston is to not get swept up in that moment. Because there is a tendency, like, as much as the crowd can affect what Washington is doing in that atmosphere, it can impact what Boston is doing. And we saw a little bit of it early on with Isaiah Thomas in Game 6. I think in the first quarter, Isaiah took a couple of bad shots that he, he was kind of going for a knockout punch early. I think the Celtics really need to focus on playing within themselves. And if they can just execute the way they've been executing the past couple of days. And again, I will repeat because I think it's worth repeating. The way the Celtics played mostly in game six was good. They missed a ton of shots that they made in game five. So that big early run that put them way out ahead in game five, the way they played in game six was very, very similar. I saw a lot of the same things. They just missed those shots. So I'm hoping that they can just play the same way, not get caught up, don't go for home runs, channeling Brad Stevens, just keep hitting singles, don't go for knockout punches early in the first or second quarter, just keep building that lead. If you have an eight-point lead, don't try to double that in two possessions. Just slowly build it up, and they'll be okay. But if they get caught up in the moment, and maybe a little too caught up in the crowd and too caught up in, in, in all of that stuff, there is a potential for them to get a little too overhyped. And I, I think I wouldn't be surprised. I would not be surprised if a bunch of shots were long early because the Celtics were too strong and too hyped and they were shooting it too strong and they went off the back rim a bunch early and Brad Stevens would call an early timeout two minutes into the game to calm the guys down and say, all right, look, chill, relax. Just play your game. So if the Celtics can do that, I think they'll be fine. Yeah, I, I think I think to your point, Isaiah, Isaiah forced some stuff. I thought he forced some stuff in the fourth quarter too. There were a couple of forced shots, bad decisions early in the fourth quarter, I thought. Um, he also needs to stay away from turnovers. Five turnovers in game six. He had, I believe, six it was in game four. So they, they, need, a, they need a cleaner game out of Isaiah Thomas. They need... Avery Bradley and or Jay Crowder hitting shots. When, when those guys hit shots, hit three-pointers, it opens up so much. It, it makes, makes their offense so much more powerful. It opens things up for Isaiah. It makes, makes Horford's passing even more potent. When, when those guys hit shots, they're different. Uh, another key, the bench. The bench. Like In the games they've won, Terry Rozier, Marcus Smart, Jalen Brown, Kelly Olenek, those guys have all had a big impact. In the games they've lost, not so much. So I I think that that bench is is a big key, um, and then both ways transition, 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 transition. The Celtics need to take care of the ball. The Celtics need to get back and 
but as they've said a lot of times, build a wall in front of John Wall and keep him out of the paint. And, you know, the Wizards aren't going to go five for 24 again from the three-point arc, I don't think. Otto Porter won't go scoreless again. I don't think Bradley Beal will have as, as good a game as he had. That might have been the best game of his career. But, but the Celtics need to limit their transition opportunities, the Wizards, because in the half court, the Wizards haven't been great against them. Their, their offense hasn't been very successful against them the last couple of games because the Celtics have gotten back into the paint, limited transition, and that's what it's all about. Like John Wall in transition is so electric. John Wall in the half court is stoppable, and, and I think you've seen that in the last couple of games. Obviously, he had that huge three, but he was just 9 for 25 in game six, and he, he had a big second half. He was very good down the stretch, but if you hold him to 9 for 25 again, You've done your job. That, that's that's a great, great game for the defense. Uh, and, and a big part of it is limiting it to half court, like I said. So a lot of keys. And then rebounding. Uh, rebounding is the, the automatic key. That is the ever evergreen key for the Celtics. <laughs> Seriously. Just uh, don't get killed. Like, just, 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 just don't get crushed. I'm tired of Marcin Gortat tapping the – misses back out to the the perimeter I'm tired of that I'm really tired of that so if they can just not have that happen because even if that results in another miss it's just another 10 15 20 seconds they have to play defense and you just don't need that you don't want that so yeah rebounding is a key just don't get crushed like you said that's I've said it all season long we've both said it all season long the Celtics don't need to be great rebounding. All they need to be is not shitty. And if they're not shitty rebounding, they'll be okay because they do so many other things well. So, yeah. Before we before we get off the topic of keys, I just want to point out Avery Bradley has kicked some ass the last couple of games. He has been so damn good. Yeah. I mean, come on. He's he's been he's been really good all year and I think he's kind of shown himself as a really really good two-way player. And it's it's, it's the most important basketball he's ever played. Maybe the best basketball he's ever played two-way. He's been remarkable the last couple of games. It, it really is a shame that he had to give up the game-winning three on a shot that was such a low percentage shot for the Wizards because Otherwise, we'd be talking about how he scored 25 points or 27, whatever it was, 27 points and contested the last shot and had four steals and did everything for the Celtics, hit so many big shots the last couple of games. But he, he's been he's been fantastic. Yeah, he's been – I think this has been – well, this is – it's not even – I'm not like making any sort of grand observation. This has been the best year of Avery Bradley's career. He's he's put everything together. He's been fantastic offensively. He's had nights like in game five where he's carried the team on occasion. He's been one of the two, three best perimeter defenders in the league. He's just been really, really good and quietly good where a lot of teams, a lot of p- casual fans might not think of Avery Bradley as one of the best two-way players in the NBA, but really how many better two-way players are you going to find in the NBA? You can probably count them on one hand. So when you think about 
everything that he can do. His shooting has been amazing. He's his ball handling went from at the beginning of his career a complete liability to now he's crossing people over. He's he's really gotten himself to a point where his offense is really good, his defense is elite. And the the type of player that's better than him on a two-way level, you're you're talking about like the Kawhi Leonard's of the world. Like he's in the stratosphere just below the elite two-way players in the league, which is really high praise. And, and and I don't think I'm overstating it. I don't think that's hyperbole. I think there are few super elite players, and then there's Avery Bradley. That is that is some high praise for Mr. Bradley. He uh he's had a hell of a playoff though. I mean dating back to Jimmy Butler, like the last two games against the Bulls, he was fantastic. So Bradley Bradley has definitely evolved this season, and really this is like the first unimpeded playoff run of his career. Yeah, which no. is crazy considering how long it seems like he's been around. But 2012, like his shoulders were popping out. That was the first year he was in the rotation. His shoulders were popping out left and right. Um, 2013 was that weird series where he got cooked by Raymond Felton, and then the Knicks made quick work of the Celtics. Last year, obviously, the hamstring injury. And now this year is the first time. And he's had two hit pointers. Yeah, I was going to say, he's got two hit pointers. Like <laughs> It's not like he's unscathed here. They, they, haven't, they haven't stopped him, though. They haven't slowed him down. I mean, he played 42 minutes in game six. 42 minutes, 27 points, four steals, 10 for 18 shooting. Just a monster game. Yeah. I had, I had to give Avery Bradley his proper respect. Because I feel like even when he has huge games, people don't give him enough respect. No, no, it's true. It's true. He's He's been probably – everybody talks about Isaiah, and Al Horford's had a sublime playoffs. But Avery Bradley deserves as much credit as both of those guys. So, Question. Question. Yeah. Would you – Start Isaiah on Bradley Beal again, like they've done the last couple of games. Um, I think I think that's fine. It's it doesn't really matter because wherever he he ends up starting, they'll try to switch onto they'll try to switch him onto onto Wall anyway. But yeah, if if they want to do that again, that's fine because they keep trying to post Beal up, or sometimes it's Porter. They try to post them up, and and I'm all for it. I've said it a million times. Anytime they want to post a Beal on uh, Isaiah Thomas, go for it. He's not a post player. So I invite that. I think it's a challenge. And I I think if if that's how Washington wants to play it, then I will try to invite that as much as possible. Yeah, but, I mean, he was just so damn good. Now he was, but I don't think that's necessarily a function of Isaiah defending him necessarily. I think that's just kind of some of those shots that he got weren't Isaiah's fault. So I, I, I would. What else are you going to do? You're going to start Isaiah on Porter? It, it doesn't matter because they'll they'll get switches. They'll just set picks and switch Isaiah wherever they want Isaiah to be. So I'm not worried about where he starts. And like I said. 
if Isaiah is guarding a guy like Beal and they want to try to isolate, then I'll happily take those isos. I, I don't mind that because that stalls Washington's offense. And if Bradley Beal wants to try to get his offense going, then that's, those are shots that Wall isn't taking. And it's, it's the flow that isn't happening. So I'll take Isaiah isos on anybody like on not John Wall all day long because Isaiah on Wall will result not only on blow by, but a Wall can get everybody else involved. Beal will try to score. Beal will try to post up. Uh, and and that will stall things more than Wall on Isaiah. So I'm I'm happy. All things considered, if. They want to try to go Beal on Isaiah and ISO that all night, then that's fine with me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Another question: what do you, What are your thoughts on Marshan Gortat screens? <laughs> Look, man, playoffs are full of illegal screens. Uh, Al Horford had a couple down the stretch. Al Horford has a couple. You watch Golden State and San Antonio. Like there are illegal screens all over the goddamn place. I I would like to clean it up a little bit, and they call some here and there, but I'm not going to be too incredulous over it because every once in a while the Celtics get away with one too, and. There, look, that's what happens in the playoffs. So many calls don't go the way you think they're going to go, or so many things go uncalled. So, look, Gortat was in foul trouble all game long, and I think what ends up happening is if he gets a couple of quick ones early, I don't think, like, referees think this way. I don't think they want to foul him out on a borderline screen or even – not so borderline screen. Like he has to basically punch somebody in the face to get his fifth or sixth foul. And so maybe it takes some massaging of the refs from uh, Brad Stevens. Maybe it will, it takes Stevens earning a tech in the game to kind of call it out. But I think they, they, you have to just kind of get used to the fact that, a lot of these calls like that, they're just not going to happen the way they do in the regular season. It's just, it works both ways. It's fine. Yeah, I'm a big fan of playoff basketball, man. I, I'm so pumped for Game Seven. I'm, I'm very excited to be in the building for that one. Yeah, man. I, I was hoping this series would go seven. I wanted more competitive games, but but Game Two was a classic. Game Six evolved from complete shit show into a classic. So maybe we're due for another classic. Maybe, maybe like John thinks, it'll be double-digit win for somebody. It's, we'll see. We'll see. It's, I, I'm not saying it's going to be a blowout. Yeah. It, it could be close. That ends up being double digits. I don't think, I don't think this is going to be – honestly, the way I think it's going to go, it's, it's not going to be one of those games where it's – I feel like it's going to be a game where – it sh- we should be less comfortable, but we feel good throughout the game. Like it's going to be kind of like eight, nine, ten points throughout the game, and we're always kind of like on edge. Like, oh, is Washington to make a run? I don't think Washington makes another run. Look, games five and six, we've eliminated big time Washington runs. I think the Celtics have figured a lot out. 
I like the way they played in Game 5, obviously. I think they played the same way in Game 6. I think they continue to play like that in Game 7. A lot of that home cooking changes who makes shots. And while we will not be entirely comfortable until the very end, I think that this game will be a little easier, I think, than most Game 7s. It's my, it's my take. Could be wrong. I could be wrong. Have, the, look, the Wizards could easily win. The, the Wizards are really good. They could easily win. I could be wrong. I'm not going to deny that. They're a really good team, but I don't think that's how it's going to go. You heard, you heard it from Corrales first. All right. That's it. Uh, before we go, before I wrap things up, I just want to give a, a, a word to our friend Bobby Manning, who lost his father this week. And, uh, you know, in this excitement of Boston Celtics playoff basketball, this is a member of our blogging community. And, and uh, I, nobody I've met personally, but a person that I interact with on Twitter and, you know, a young kid who's up and coming and, and working really hard for Celtics blog, doing his podcast and doing a lot of things. So I just want to give a shout out to, to Bobby and his family and, and to say, to, to offer condolences for his loss. I know Jay, you feel the same and, and, and all of us in the Celtics community who follow Bobby and his work on Celtics blog. I know it's a tough time and, you know, trying to balance excitement for a team and, and, and the situation and try to do work. And he's talking about doing a podcast again soon, but I know you've gone through some tough times and I just want to give uh, our, our words of condolences to Bobby Manning at, at this time uh, of his loss. Okay. Yeah, me too. Me too. I only met Bobby one time, man, but just, just a really positive kid, great energy from him. So thoughts are with the man and family for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Good kid. Good kid. You know, up and coming young kid too, man. This kid's like, I think he just graduated college. So um, no, he's, he's still in college, still in college. Yeah. So, so big, long career coming up for, for Bobby in, in broadcasting in a tough time, but you know what? We're going to, we're going to band together and we're thinking of you, Bobby at this time. And, and hopefully the Celtics can win on Monday night and, and continue this and give you uh, a little something to, to be happy about as we move forward here in the month of May and hopefully a conference finals for the Boston Celtics. We'll see what happens. I'm confident. I think you should be too. I really feel good about game seven. I really, really do. And we'll see how that goes. Hey, guys, if you're a subscriber to the show, I hope you rate us five stars and you can give us a uh, a rating, uh, I mean, a, a review, a positive review, because, you know, that really boosts us in the rankings. And we've been saying that we've been the top team-specific podcast on the iTunes rankings. We want to continue that rise and we want to be the top sports podcast in in those rankings. Let's show everybody what Boston sports is all about. Let's show them what Boston Celtics podcasting is all about. Rate us five stars. Give us those reviews. Share the podcast when we post them. Let people know what the top podcast is. Let people in around the world know what Boston sports is all about. If you are not a subscriber, search for us. Search for Locked On Celtics wherever you get your podcasts, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn app, everywhere. Search for Locked On Celtics. If you don't find us, let us know. We will get you the podcast wherever you get your podcasts. So do that. Okay, Game 7, Monday night. We're feeling it. I feel good. We'll be here post-game, hopefully celebrating a win. This has been the Locked On Celtics Podcast. We are part of it. 
the Locked On Podcast Network. Yeah, Jay King and John Corrales, Locked On Celtics, Millie's. Hi guys, this is Josh Lloyd, host of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast. The NBA is back, so that means that fantasy basketball is back in one form or another. We've got daily fantasy, but there's also some fantasy leagues with the resumption of play with these eight regular season games in Orlando, and Locked On Fantasy Basketball is going to have you covered. It's not just for fantasy basketball, though, because we recap all of the games across the NBA, so if you're looking for a broad overview of the action across the league every day, Locked On Fantasy Basketball is the podcast for you.